today you are in for a massive, massive gift. I am so excited. You know that Pastor David Hughes and his bride, Pastor Lisa Hughes, are family around here. David has preached here many times. He brought multiple people from his staff in Fort Lauderdale to the Spur Leadership Conference. And David is just one of those guys. He said it so well, I think, a couple of years ago. He said, Mac, the only problem with our friendship is that we haven't known each other for 30 years. Because it just feels like that. He's one of those people who, when he is in the pulpit, he fits our congregation. We are always blessed, always better and stronger and healthier because he's been here. So I want to ask you, if you will, stand to your feet and give a crazy Lake Hills Church welcome to Pastor David Hughes. Y'all sit down, sit down, get comfortable. The, uh, the honor, the privilege is 100% mine. I'm here out of pure selfishness. I love this church and getting to be here and enjoy, by the way, enjoy Spur. Spur was phenomenal. Let me echo your pastor. Uh, what a great event you guys put on. I do bring about a half dozen people halfway across the United States to enjoy Spur every year. And so it's a great, great event. The cross section of speakers, the content. So by the way, if you don't go to Spur, I think you should go. If you lead at any level, maybe you think of leadership as, you know, if you're a head coach or you lead in the political arena or if you're a corporate executive. No, if you got, you know, people you supervise, you got people you influence. If, you, if you're a homemaker, those kids, you have, these leadership principles are powerful and pervasive. I'm just saying, it's your event. You need to be here. It is so very good. And then your brilliant pastor stands up at the end. He is such a great preacher. You are so blessed. In fact, wait, I'll give you a moment. I'm going to tee you up really good to celebrate your, your leadership here. Uh, Max says often, you know, I'm biased, but that doesn't make me wrong. Same way, I'm not at all objective when it comes to your pastor. And listen, when you come as a guest speaker, it's good manners to say nice things about the church and the leadership. But I tell you, no pastoral embellishment. I love Mac, Julie, Joe, Emily. You have one of the most phenomenal families. They are so hyper-intelligent, so gifted. It's not just one great preacher, it's two. Uh, and so listen, and I'll tell you this, because we know them very, very, we travel together, we hang out together, they're the same wonderful people, godly people, off stage, on stage, at home, all context, you are, you have phenomenal leaders. Now, there you go, now, that we're just honored to stand with them and stand with Mac normally, if you are a first time guest, I'm so sorry, please come back next week and enjoy Pastor Mac, and, and by the way, make sure you're back in two weeks, it is Easter, Easter, be inviting people, isn't it crazy? how people are just extra receptive to a church invite. If you're a little phobic, they'll like, I can't invite people to church. I don't be that weird person inviting. It's cool. These next two weeks, and people need God, it's funny, just as much in October as they do in the few weeks before Easter. But in October, you ask them, like, no, I don't want to go to church. But something about right now, the conversations are not awkward. People are hyper-receptive. So have these invite cards on yourself all the time and give yourself a God goal to invite, I don't know, 12 people. 12 people, that's a lot of people. Don't break it down. Think about, you know, pray names before God. Who are 12 people? Uh, uh, friends, who's your friendship group at school? That's probably, you know, what, three, four people right there. Uh, who do you work with? Who's in the next cubicle, right? There's maybe four people, so you got four of the 12. Uh, how, how about uh, some weird relatives, weird relatives? You got some of those that need to go to church, and they normally won't go, but they'll come because it's Easter, and Easter here is going to be epic and amazing and powerful. 
And so uh, maybe two, so now a half dozen. Let's see, uh, what hobby do you have? Do you work out, play tennis, golf? Are the guys in your foursome? Now we're up to nine. Uh, who's in your normal schedule you see as far as your routine, uh, your dry cleaner? Uh, there's random, not so random people, the hostess, the server. That's probably three more. There's a dozen right there. I'm just telling you, it is, it is the easiest time. It's going to be amazing. And, of course, it's not just about filling up the church. It's about filling up heaven. Amen? Amen. By the way, thank you for responding a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm from Church by the Glades in South Florida. It's going to be back with you. But my church is one of those, those rowdy churches. Y'all know the type? In fact, I think I told you before, I, I do church in one of those unchurched counties in America. Our people don't understand church etiquette and church rules. They just roll in, and, and they don't have any of that. So my people don't even understand rhetorical questions. They talk back to me all the time. Our church is very diverse, and they're just rowdy. So if you'll respond, we'll have more fun. Amen? Amen. I feel more at home. Dialogues are more fun than monologues. We're going to be in, uh, let's see, Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. If you have a Bible, please turn there. First book in the Bible. If you don't, we'll put the verses up on the big screen. By the way, the screens are amazing. Man, gosh, what great LEDs. How did we preach the gospel without LEDs for all those many centuries? So Genesis chapter 21, and again, thank you for being here. I know the weather is less than ideal. Thank you for toughing it out. You're hardcore. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a hardcore, man. You get wet for God. You, you show up and get soggy for the Savior. That's phenomenal. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. Don't know on the eighth day, God invented the umbrella. You came to church. Good for you. And uh, again, to be here for Spur is amazing. Spur is enough for me, but to get to speak afterwards, I'm, I'm so happy today. I mean, to speak at Lake Hills Church after Spur, oh my gosh, you know, that's the cherry on my Sunday. If I can make that text it appropriate, it's the jalapenos on my Whataburger. It's the spicy barbecue sauce on my Salt Lake burnt ends. How about that? That's pretty textified right there, if that's even a word. So uh, I want to jump into it. The topic may not seem like the topic, but the topic, in my opinion, in this famous chapter, Genesis chapter 21, it's the story of Abraham and Sarah and God keeping a promise. But I think the real topic is freedom. But if you read it, it doesn't seem like a freedom passage. It doesn't feel like freedom because sometimes freedom doesn't feel like freedom. Okay, I've lost somebody. Let me explain. Uh, from history, American history, Booker T. Washington, famous advocate, educator. Of course, he began his life as a slave. He was a slave for maybe about ages eight to nine, and then he was emancipated. And he was asked one time, you know, what it felt like to be in bondage and what freedom felt like. And he said, funny, freedom felt weird at first. He, he told a story, he said, you know, what, what uh, freedom felt like, he said, well, you know, when I was a kid, we could hear the cannon fire in the distance, the Union Army was approaching, and someone brought us the word one night that Mr. Lincoln had emancipated the slaves, and we sat there with my parents in our small little shack and looked at each other and thought, are we free? Are we, we hear the cannons, we, we've received the word, but we don't feel like we're free. We didn't feel free, yet we didn't feel free. Then the interviewer said, what did bondage feel like? Said, oh, that, I know what that felt like. You know, bodies felt like a chicken. And then he said, what do you mean a chicken? He said, well, you know, when I think what slavery felt like, I don't think about the lash. I don't think about the oppression. I don't think about those hard days of labor in the sun. I think about a chicken. Because every day as a slave, he said, is just like the unpleasant day before. Every day is the same monotony, dehumanizing. Every single day, and every single day began with a chicken. A rooster outside our window, and that rooster would crow at the first bit of pink in the southern sky. And when that rooster crowed, I hated that rooster because that began another irksome day of toil as a slave. That rooster reminded me every single day I wasn't free. I didn't feel free. I hated that rooster. Freedom. 
and bondage can throw you. Sometimes they don't present themselves. This is a story, I, I believe, about freedom. And freedom, man, we love freedom. Amen? Come on, Austin, Texas. We love freedom. In fact, Texans, patriotic, amen, passionate for freedom. There are more Navy SEALs from the state of Texas than any other state. More Medal of Honor winners than any other state. So y'all love freedom. When I say three, shout the word freedom like you mean already. One, two, three. There you go. This is a story about freedom. And by the way, God is a great holy abolitionist. My God would love nothing more today than to set you free. In every way a person can be set free. Amen? All right, here we are. Genesis chapter, uh, chapter, uh, come on, chapter what? 21. Here we go, a little verse by verse. So Abraham and Sarah, let me back up a little bit. The story of Abraham and Sarah begins in earnest in Genesis chapter 12. You stay in Genesis chapter 21, but way back many years before in Genesis chapter 12, God introduces himself to Abraham. Now, Abraham did not have a godly background. We learn in the latter part of Joshua that Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. His granddaddy worshiped. They were pagan people, but God introduced himself. He calls Abraham by name and says, Abraham, if you'll follow me by faith, I'll make you famous, make your name great, I will bless you, and I'll make you a dad. If you recall the story of Abraham and Sarah, they had a very nice life. They loved each other, had a very sweet relationship, had a degree of wealth, but they never had children. And if you're married and desire to be parents, it never ha happened for you. That's a heartbreak. And so they were broken heart. But here, God God speaks and says, I'll make you a dad. I promise. That's back in chapter 21. By the way, they're already old. They're, they're older than beyond the typical age. You think of people having kids. Even like Bible ages are different. So it's the wrong chronology, but God makes a promise. Now we're, that's chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. Smart people still with me? Now we're in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 on the screen right now. Here's what it says. I've highlighted some words, by the way. And my rowdy people back home at Church by the Glades, they read those highlighted words, underlined words loudly. Would you do the same? Here we go. Please, will you do, do the same? Yeah. All right, here we go, here we go. Now, the Lord was gracious. Yeah, grace is a whole Bible thing. Grace is not just a New Testament thing. It's a whole Bible thing. Here is God being gracious in the Old Testament. God was gracious to Sarah as he said. Get ready. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had. I love that about God. Anybody here make promises? Who makes promises? Raise your hand. Don't lie in church. Yeah, we all make promises. Ever, ever fall a little short on promise? Probably, probably rare, probably rare, because when you make a promise, it's a big deal, right? So what's, what's your, your career bad average? Like, how do you do on promise keeping? Like, oh, I'm 98.5%. That's great. I'm 97%. That's just awesome. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. God, perfect. God makes a promise in chapter 12. Here, many years later, many years later, God keeps a promise, chapter 21. Why? Because God keeps his promises every time. I'm going to put it on the screen. God put, keeps his promises every time. And thank you for the golf clap right there. <laughs> really? Wait, wait, wait. In fact, I'm going to tee you up on that again. I'm going to help you out because that, that deserves more than just a nice smile or knowing nod or a cute little yay. No, that's huge. That is, all right. And again, I, I know I'm speaking in Austin, Texas. And Austin is, is cool and sophisticated and kind of famous being chill. You know, y'all chill. Y'all take everything in stride. And y'all, I like that about Austin. But there is sometimes Austin loses his freaking mind, right? Or we'll pretend we'll, we'll go into the future, uh, college football season, <laughs> University of Texas Longhorns under coach Tom Herman uh, have a, a better than even expected season. They go through the regular season undefeated. They beat OU. They see OU a second time in the Big 12 championship. They beat him a second time in the championship. They get a not so surprising bid to the college playoff. In the first round, they play 
the evil empire. University of Alabama, led by Coach Nick Satan. I mean, Saban, yes. They take down Alabama. We're in the championship game. I think in this year coming up, it's in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. University of Texas playing Clemson. How about that, Clemson? And in quadruple overtime, UT defeats Clemson. I'm sorry, Joe Richard. They lose. UT wins. Now, what happens? Yeah, yeah, what happens then with chilled Austin? What happens if they win? Y'all go crazy, right? There's riding in the street, because that's an awesome thing. But let's put that verse back up. Put that statement back up. Put that statement back up. That's better, though. So I want everybody to stand to your feet right now. Please stand to your feet. We're going to pretend like the Longhorns have just won their fifth national title. Time the University of Miami. Just saying that fifth national title. Ready? How would you respond? I'm going to read that again, and that's why I want you guys to respond. Just like that. Ready? God keeps his promises every time. Yeah, woo, come on, that, that is amazing. That is a game changer. That is one, I mean, a thousand darn percent every time. You may be seated. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's not just a technique to keep you awake on a dreary day. It's, it's oh, it is that too. It's, that's so important because God makes you some epic promises through Christ. God has promised you heaven, keeps his promises every time. Through Christ, God has promised you forgiveness, no more guilt, no shame, keeps his promises every time. Through Christ, he's promised you a future, he's promised you his spirit, he's promised you his gifts, he's promised you his guidance, his vision, keeps his promises every time. That's a good first verse, isn't it? Genesis 21 verse 1 is a good verse. All right, so God keeps his promise. Abraham and, and Sarah, they have this, this baby been waiting for so long. Baby's name is going to be Isaac. Isaac, when I say three, shout the name Isaac. Ready? One, two, three. Isaac. Lots of names. Promise back in chapter 12. Now chapter 21. Many years later, by the way, someone's going, yeah, God keeps his promises. I've been waiting. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Perfect. Good answer. But you're, I've been waiting so long. I've been waiting for this God promise. I'm kind of losing hope because it's been, it's been months. It's been a couple years. Sometimes God takes his time. Makes me crazy. God's watch is never synced up with mine. Sometimes he wants me to do something before I feel like I'm ready, right? We're talking about feeling and perception. Sometimes, you know, maybe to give your heart to Christ today, you're like, oh, ho, 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 not ready for that. Man, I'm kicking tires. I'm doing research. And maybe, you know, God says today is a day of salvation. God knows you better than you know you. And he says you're ready. But many times, that God's watch is moving so slow. So verse 5 tells us how long it took for God. Because back in chapter 12, God made the promise. It's been 25 years. Again, they were very old back then. Here's how old Abraham is when he finally becomes a dad for the, in the story. It's, it's on the screen right now, verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old. <laughs> wow. And his wife was 90. Wow. When they become a, a parent, are you kidding? That's Wow. I mean, he's triple digits, and she's been on AARP for 40 years. But God keeps his promises. How often? Every time. Every time. Now, most normal preachers stop right here because this is an amazing story. The, the story of Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're remarkable. They are superlative. They're examples of faith. They're celebrated throughout the Bible. Abraham is honored by Christians, Jews, Muslims. Billions of people respect him. because they're. They, so most people just stop right here and just celebrate because it's fun. It's happy. Hey, senior adult baby shower. They had a... Isaac, child of promise. Oh, God is awesome. That's normal. Bob's wearing me a Lake Hills t-shirt yesterday that says normal is overrated. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So let's 
backtrack a little further in the story. Let's keep reading because there's a little twist in the story. I want to warn you, it's going to go from like an inspiring biblical narrative to a cable TV reality show here in a moment. Genesis chapter 21, it, it continues. This is just, this is a little twisted. What happened is, let's drop to verse 8. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac, now Isaac belongs to Abraham and Sarah, right? Isaac was weaned. Abraham held a great feast, going through a party. Verse 9, verse 9 on the screen right now, I've highlighted one word. But Sarah saw, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, thank you, great, Hagar the Egyptian had born to Ab Abraham. Wait, 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 Ab Abraham has another baby mama? Oh, is, is two women with, with kids? I was mocking, and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac, verse 11, and the matter distressed Abraham. My brothers, he'd been stressing for years, because typically Abraham, remarkable, Abraham, exemplary, Abraham, superlative, do what Abraham did, but you know, God uses faithful people and flawed people. So let me say where Hagar came from. In fact, when I say three, shout the name Hagar. Ready? One, two, three. Hagar. All right. Where's this woman, Hagar? Where's this part of the story? All right. So God makes a promise back in chapter 12. God keeps a promise here in chapter 21. It's been 25 years in between. Back in chapter 16, 16, God had made the promise a decade before. That's been a long time. Again, they're old back when God initially makes the promise. So every year God does not keep the promise yet, the promise seems less likely to happen. I mean, poor Sarah, her biological clock is not just ticking slowly, it's broke. And so in chapter 16, she decides she's going to help God out. Never a good move. And so what happens in chapter 16, she offers up the Egyptian slave girl in their house, Hagar, as a sexual surrogate to her husband, Abraham. Now, again, as I told the story to my people, none of them knew the story. They're, they're not from a church. They're like, oh, that is twisted. That is weird. That is, and he's, they're right. It really is. It, it's bizarre. But this was something, perhaps you know, that existed in Canaanite culture. This is something their pagan neighbors did. So she borrows something from her culture. What she's trying to do is she has a God problem. She's waiting for God's promise. But you can't fix a God problem using the world's methodology. And so she offers up this young, beautiful slave girl to her husband, old Abraham Brothers, takes one for the team and sleeps with her, chapter 16, gets pregnant. And you, you can tell where it's going to land, right? It's like a verse and a half later. The moment Hagar finds out she's expecting, we got all this baby mama drama going on. We got, she has an attitude with her mistress, and Sarah gets mad at her, and then she gets mad at Abraham. The best part of the story is she says to Abraham, her husband, you did this to me. This is your fault. Abraham's thinking to himself, well, this is your idea, baby, but he has enough sense not to say that, right, because things get bad. And so there's been all this dysfunction in their life for many, many years, way since chapter 16. Why? She's trying to solve a God problem using the world's methods. If I can add this, by the way, too, this is obviously a sexually based decision. And how many times in life have you seen someone make a, an impulsive sexual decision that leads to decades of dysfunction? All kinds of brokenness, pain, and hurt feelings, and relationship drama. Why does God have sexual rules in the Bible? It's not because God is uptight. Because he has your back. Maybe it's just somebody here, you're flirting with something right now, thinking I won't take it too far. You're kind of messing with something. You're, you're in, and God brought some knucklehead from Florida just to say, hey, throw on the brakes. Learn from Abraham. Oh, my God. It brought more 
pain. Here we see it manifest in chapter 21. So Hagar had a son. Her son's name was Ishmael. Weird name, Ishmael. Any Ishmaels in the house? Let me defend anybody. Ishmael, no. When I say three, shout the name Ishmael. Ready? One, two, three. Ishmael. All right, so, so Hagar has Ishmael, same dad, Abraham, but then God keeps his promise. Chapter 21, after 25 years, Abraham's 100, his wife is 90, and they have Isaac. Isaac is the child they've been waiting for. So you got these two women, but of course, the child of flesh and the child of promise cannot live in the same household. So what happens is, verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and set them on her shoulders, then sent her off. Abraham, based on his wife's prodding, cast her out. Set her off with the boy, or his son. She went on her way and wandered in the desert. Had no GPS on her phone. Wanders in the desert of Beersheba. And uh, so here's the question that this kind of begs. What happens in life when someone else's blessing causes you a problem? Right? I, I don't mean just someone else gets all the breaks and all the blessings. And you're like, I pray and I go to church. I came to church when it rained even God. Right? They get, no, I just mean, what are some of the few things in life there's a limited supply? And someone else gets the thing that you wanted or you prayed for or you hoped for. They get that and you don't. And their blessing sets you back. What about those times? And, you know, let me break it down. Uh, um, you're at work. You work really hard. And there's, there's one promotion available. And you think you're the most qualified. You prayed and asked God to intervene. And the person in the next cubicle gets it. And she's nice and everything. And you're happy for her because you're not like a selfish person. But that's the blessing you wanted. Or there's, there's one spot on the varsity. And. And he got it, and he's not a jerk or anything, but you wanted that spot, or um, uh, your secret crush, ask out your best friend, not you. Get too close to home for somebody there, just, just. I mean, once upon a time, and, you know, years ago, I worked as an actor. I remember going on, on an audition for a commercial, commercial, it was going to be a really lucrative commercial, so I drove three hours to Orlando for the audition. They saw like 200 guys, and then they had a callback, and I made the callback, so it was down to like six guys, so I had to drive back to Orlando, it's three hours each way did the callback, then they did a second callback that was unusual to me and one other guy, and I met the guy, he's a nice enough guy, obviously not a Christian, but, you know, talking about the, the model he slept with the night before, or whatever, you know, just, but, you know, and, and just down to the two, and I asked, I prayed for three hours, he said, God, if you can bless me, it's going to be a lot of money, I need the resourcing, right, and I got the call from my agent on the way back, they gave the gig to the other guy, and like, I didn't hate on him, I'm like, God, I wanted that, what do you do in life, when some, because Sarah was blessed, she finally had the baby she longed for, but her blessing made Hagar expendable. And so she's wandering in the wilderness. And most normal preachers stop in verse 5. Abraham and Sarah had a baby. Yeah. What about Hagar? What a, I love an underdog, don't you? I love the Rocky Balboa in the story. What about Hagar? In fact, Austin, I know there's lots of Isaac families, lots of families with two parents in place. And, they had a luxurious tent, and they had staff and servants, and this kid's going to be loved his whole life and celebrated his whole life, and he's going to have people waiting on him and dressing. He'll eat breakfast in bed. But what about Hagar families? What about, you know, only one parent in the home? Or one parent, you know, is so busy they never see him or her, and the other one feels like a single parent. What about a strong single mama? What about, what about an Ishmael who doesn't grow up in luxury? You have those kind of families in Austin as well, don't you? It, you know, they're not going to be in, in a mansion. They're hoping to make rent. Single wide, what about Hagar? Shoot, for the rest of the sermon, hang Abraham. He gets plenty of blessings. Let's, let's track with, with Hagar. What happens is poor woman, because she's done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Was she complicit in chapter 16? She was not sexually assaulted, but good night, she was a slave. 
Talk about limited options in life. So here it is. Her and her son are cast out from the only home they've ever known. Verse 15 and 16, about to be on the screen, I want to warn you, maybe two of the saddest verses in all the Bible. So after some time, it says in verse 15, the water and the skin was gone. She put the boy under one of the bushes, trying to find him some semblance of shade in the desert heat. And she set off, look at verse 16. This is so incredibly human. Set down uh, about a bow shot away, a couple hundred yards maybe, for she thought, I cannot watch my boy die. And she sat there and began to sob. And she's done nothing wrong. Surely Ishmael, he's a kid, he's done nothing wrong. What do you do when someone else's blessing jacks you? And, and this is one of the saddest things. Here's this mom I can't even bear to watch the boy die. And he's probably delirious at this point, so she puts him in the shade of a small bush or something. And he says he's crying, but probably he's so dehydrated, it's hard to his eyes to form tears. And she walks away and she's crying, and God, what happened? I have no home, I have no place. I have one person in this world who loves me, and he's about to die, and I'm next. Okay, that's verse 16. Sad. Verse 17 is the bomb. Verse 17 is why I read my Bible. I don't smoke pot or crack. I read my Bible, man. It's all verses like this do it for me. This verse is phenomenal. It's on the screen. Ready? Right now. Don't read it yet. Don't read, don't read the first two words yet. Don't read, please. Don't read them yet, but look at them. Look, take them in. Soak the first two words in. These, these first two words are phenomenal. Look at them. Don't look at me. Look at the words. Look at those words. Ready? Because everything is bad. Everything is broken. Everything is dysfunctional. Everything is heartbreak. Everything is despair. But I love the first two words. Ready? Loudly, loudly, like, like we mean it. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. But God. I love but God verses. I love when someone's whole life is bleak and broken and God steps in. When God invades someone's reality and brokenness. But God steps in. Heard the boy crying. I'll, you can clap at that. Thank you, one clapping person. I'll... Heard the boy crying. And I love that too. When you, when you weep, God hears. In fact, the Bible says God treasures your tears. There's a verse in Revelation that says he, he puts all of our tears in a, in, a, in a jar. And scholars say it's probably a metaphor, it's hyperbole, it's, it, it's poetry. Why? God not strong enough to make a giant jar for your tears? And it says when you get to heaven, no more tears. So he, he seals that jar forever shut. But when you weep on the earth, when, you're, when you cry for whatever reason, you cry for yourself, you cry for your loved one, or if you're like this, you're, you're maybe a parent and you're crying for your kid because Hagar's sobbing. Uh, my church is in Coral Springs, Florida. We have several campuses, but we're only about 10 minutes away from Marjorie D Stoneman Douglas High School. I live in Parkland. And so uh, a little over a year, we spend a lot of time hosting funerals and seeing parents cry because, you know, it's where the largest school shooting in the U.S. history happened. It's my people. And you see God in those moments step in in ways you can't explain. You see God keep his promises that he draws near to the brokenhearted. And he's close to the crushed in spirit. But here you got a mama crying. you got a boy trying to cry. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, said to her, what's the matter? Okay, where do I start, God? I've been rejected. I've been cast out. i got no home anymore. We have no food. We have no shelter. i got no plan for the future. I, what, what's the matter? Water. I need water. My boy, the only person who loves me is about to die. And then I love it. God says, he says this a lot. He says, do not be afraid. I love the great many fear not statements in the Bible. Why do we need Because sometimes life can be scary. Sometimes life is beautiful. Sometimes life is broken. So he said, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Then it gets so rich after this. Let me turn the page in my Bible. Verse 18, lift the boy up, take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation. Stop. Great. Wow. What, what, that's a promise. What's a promise? What do we read in verse 1? 
What did we discover in verse 1? God keeps his promises. Every time. What? God keeps his promises when? Sometimes, often, about religious things. No, he keeps his promises how? When? Every time. Everybody. Every time. So he made promises about Isaac. He makes a promise about Ishmael. This little kid growing up in a bleak circumstance, rejected by his own dad, hated by his stepmom, strong single mother raising him. Now, I, I like this too, because she needs water. God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Verse 20 is next. Verse 20 is on the screen right now. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the boy. Going to save the boy's life. Continues. Next verse, guys, quickly. Please. Thank you. And I underlined a couple words here that I think are very pivotal. Read the, the third word. Right. God was with the boy. So he's going to be with Ishmael. Now, I underline that because that's a synonym in the Bible for blessed or favored or, or God is going to be supernaturally engaged in this kid's life. Now, for a little contrast, the Bible also promises that God's going to be with uh, Isaac, the other kid. He's going he's to be with them. So he's going to bless Isaac and he's going to bless Ishmael. But blessing looks different for different people. So he's going to be with him. And he grew up and he lived in the desert, so he's, he's going to be a kind of outdoorsy guy. He's going to become an archer, an archer. And I, I, like, I dig that too. So think Robin Hood, Green Arrow, Ishmael right there. And I, and, and I like he's going to have to grow up resourceful, live in the wilderness, wear cowboy boots, go to Bass Pro, watch Outdoor Channel, never HGTV. No, he's not that kind of kid because God has you know, a different plan for both boys. And then finally, just for the parents, verse 21. Verse 21, now I'll shut down the reading and get to one last question and wrap it up. Verse 21 is for just the moms and dads in the house. Boom. So later on, they were living in the desert of Paran, and his mother, oh, mother got him a wife. Mama went and got him a wife. So we have romance and love and heart emojis going on. So all the good things happened. And by the way, parents, notice that mama picked out the spouse. Arranged marriages, moms and dads. It is biblical. We should bring that back. Amen. We should bring that back. Because, young person, we see you've been dating, and we're concerned about your judgment. We really are. That's a sketch person you're hanging out with anyways. I don't really mean that. Well, I kind of really mean that. But anyways, so, so, so all, here's why I want to take this, this story that maybe you've heard, maybe you've not. Because, again, most people stop with Abraham, and I've continued to journey with, with Hagar. I love the strong single mom and how God steps into a broken situation. But here's, here's the, the insight most people miss because it doesn't feel like this kind of story. It's a story about freedom. This is a narrative about freedom. This is a this, and here's the, here's the breakdown. Sometimes your freedom, and this is going to be so important for somebody because uh, if you're stuck in life at all, if your life is messy at all, if um, you've been rejected, um, abandoned, underappreciated, under-resourced, freedom. Sometimes we miss freedom because your freedom comes in disguise. Your freedom wears a mask. Your freedom does not feel like freedom. It feels like something else. It feels like loneliness. It feels like pain. It feels like rejection. But sometimes your freedom comes in disguise. Y'all staring at me because you're confused. I get that. Let, 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 me, let me break it down. Let's go back to Hagar a few verses before. So Hagar is weeping, right? She, she's she's quiet, crying. Why is she crying? Because, well, she has been cast out by Abraham. She's been treated wrongly by Sarah. She's lost the only home she's known for 25 years. So here she is, and she, the Bible says she's sobbing. She's not just crying a little, she's crying a lot. But if you think about it with clarity, she's lamenting her own emancipation. What happened? Sarah tried to hurt her. Sarah rejected her. All Sarah did was set her free. 
She'd been a slave her whole life. I, I know it doesn't feel like freedom, but let's unpack and repack the way you think about freedom. I think you might think of freedom incorrectly. Let's, let's unpack that and repack that. Same way the poor lady in front of me at Fort Lauderdale Airport as I was flying out here, she stood in front of a, a ticket guy who was not enjoying his job at all who told her, you're 53 pounds, the limit is 50 pounds. Ever been there on your, your luggage? And she just got off a cruise or something. And she said, can I please have? And he said, no. What's the charge for the additional three pounds? He literally said $150. So this poor woman like has to open up her giant suitcase full of all these dirty, stinky clothes. And she's trying to gauge what looks like three pounds to put into her carry-on bag. I want to point out to you, by the way, if you work for the airline, the same 53 pounds are still going on the airplane. If you notice that, it's still the same workload and weight load for the airplane. But she had to repack. So repack the way you think about freedom. Hagar's crying and she's sobbing, but she's free for the first time in her life. Didn't just feel like freedom. And what she's doing, she's missing Abraham. She's missing the camp. She's missing the people. See, because it was a nice camp. Abraham is wealthy at this point. He had luxurious tents. There's plenty of food in the camp of Abraham. There's plenty to drink in the camp of Abraham. There's plenty of people to hang out with. The Bible says he had a small army of people serving him. There's all these things happening, but she was a slave in that camp. So right now, Hagar has no tents but she's free. She has no plan, but she's free. She has no prospects, but she is free. She has no food, but she's free. She has no water, that's a big deal, but she's free. She has no food, no drink, no tent, no water, but the first time in her life ever, she has no slave master. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Oh, there's so much talk about freedom in the Bible. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when the truth comes to your life, it sets you free. It sets you free every time. She is free for the first time and doesn't know she's free. So she's crying. She's lamenting. I want to go back to the camp of Abraham. She was a slave in that camp. Now, the crazy thing, she, freedom feels like loneliness. It feels like a lack of resourcing. It feels like rejection for her. That's why she's crying. She has some very real needs, but she wants to go back to slavery. Now, listen, God hates slavery. God hates every form of bondage. God is anti-bondage. He's anti-slavery. God is pro-freedom. And why does God hate bondage? It's dysfunction. But she'd been a slave. I can make the case, even back in Egypt, back before she joined the camp of Abraham, she'd been born into slavery. All she's known is slavery. And slavery, therefore, is dysfunction. But when dysfunction is all you've known, when dysfunction is all you know, and dysfunction is still dysfunction, but dysfunction is your norm. Dysfunction is your baseline. This church does a brilliant job combining psychology with theology. And so she just doesn't feel free. She doesn't know the fact that Sarah set her free. Meant to harm her, reject her, but set her free. She's emancipated. So God steps in. But God, let me help you repack this, reframe this. So, so what's the matter, Hagar? Oh my gosh, what's the matter, God? I got no tent. I got no place. My boy, the only one who loves me is dying. Got no food, got no water. God, okay, it's just a tent, tent, plan, place, uh, water. Let's start with water. Verse 19, verse 19 is cool. Don't put it up yet. Don't put it. Verse 19, did you, did you pay attention to a detail in verse 19? Because the first thing she needs is water. None of this plan and promise can happen without water. So what happens, you notice in verse 19, God becomes God, and God gets out his magic. God dust, his pixie dust, made water, made a fountain. Did you see that? Did you read that? No, here's a kind of a cool thing. Here's what I'm praying that God's going to do for someone right now at Lakeville's Church. Verse 19 is on the screen. Ready, tech team? Bam. Give it up for the tech team, by the way. Come on, tech team. Yes. Come on, loudly, tech team. Great job. Hardest ministry in the church. No one notices the tech team unless something goes wrong, right? Great job, tech team. Great job. 
look at this detail. So here she is, and she is dying of thirst. Her son is about to perish of dehydration. God doesn't make a well. God doesn't create water. I love this. Then God, lead, open her eye. The well was there the whole time. I mean, it's, is it behind a sand dune? Is, it, is she just so delirious in her despair? She can't see that the answer to her prayer is right in front of her face. I, I love, that's why I'm praying for someone. Maybe you're so broken, you feel so rejected, you can't see it's really for you. God is setting you free. Listen, let me get up in your stuff. May I get up in your stuff? May I get in your, up in your chili for a moment? Can I do that? Is that, that all right? Please say yes. I'm going to do it anyways. Can I get up in your stuff? Okay, thank you. So for you, it means, um, and all this stuff hurts really bad. He dumped you. She walked away from you. The divorce was excruciating, and it wasn't your decision. Um, you got cut from the team. You got rejected from the friendship circle, left out of the group text. You know, wham, wham, wham. Um, worked there as a great employee, faithful for 20 years, and they downsized. You got canned. You got canned. All they did was eliminate one option. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. They set you free. They set you free. And don't be like, Hagar, I want to run back to your bondage. I see Christians run back, you know, because as soon as Jesus set you free, sometimes it feels lonely. You can't socialize with your old friends because you're going to make bad decisions. But I see Christians run back to their bondage. I see Christians run back to their enslavement. They run back to that dysfunction because dysfunction is your norm. No, no. Listen, it's hard. These transitions are painful. But sometimes in life, one door must close before the next one opens. God set you free. They meant to hurt you. They meant to reject you. God set you free. Get up and walk in freedom. Open your eyes. Your resources within reach. Your miracles in your midst. The well is already there. I guarantee you salvation is close enough for you to touch today. Open your eyes. God keeps his promises. How often? Every time. All right, and I see I'm out of time, but can I ask for just, just a moment for one more detail? Can I give you one more detail? May I please have more? Again, I'm going to do it anyway, so thank you for giving me permission to do that. Um, I won't keep it but a second. One of the speakers said at Spur, it was so profound, said that maybe the main responsibility of a leader is to unlock potential in other people. Unlock and find and spot and discern potential. When I say three, shout the word potential. Ready? One, two, three. Man, so God's the ultimate lover and the ultimate leader. Man, he has a great job spotting potential in surprising places. God has a holy habit in the Bible of picking people we write off as having limited or little potential. He loves to pick people we think are too young or someone we think too old or surely too messed up. So I love the potential God sees in Ishmael. Because Ishmael is what, he's a dying little boy. And in his world, in his culture, no one saw any potential or value in who he was. Why he's a slave. Now slaves had some value. You had to buy a slave, right? So there's some, but they occupy the lowest rung on the social status. We understand ladder. But, but he was a slave. But a slave only has value based on the slave's capacity to work. And he's a sick and dying slave. He, he can't work, so therefore he has no value. But God looks at him, and memory makes a promise. He's going to be the father of nations. In fact, another place says he'll be the father of 12 princes. I love that God sees potential in Ishmael. See, in the Bible, we track after Isaac, and that is appropriate. Isaac becomes the father of the Israelis. He's the father of God's chosen people. I would argue clearly the most important people group on the planet in God's global redemptive plan are the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and he is the father of the Jews. But scholars believe that Ishmael became the father of the Arab people. Guess what? That's huge, too. And though the Jews are chosen, chosen doesn't mean that God loves the Jews more than he loves Gentiles or loves Jews more than he loves Arabs. God loves everyone. Amen. And just doing the math, there are 15 million descendants of Isaac, 15 million Jews in the world. 
and 400 million Arabs. That's the legacy of Ishmael. God saw that potential. Maybe God sees potential in you that no one else recognizes, no one else sees that kind of value, but God esteems you. He sees a world changer. He sees you taking invite cards and, and setting people free as you invite them to church. God sees all that in you, and I promise that's true. And God keeps his promises every time. I love this story. I love how God works. And So if you're in one of those situations, you've been rejected or broken, we pack that, God set you free. God set you free. New life, new chapter. And that's, that's awesome. She was longing for a toxic chapter. No, no, Hagar, that chapter's done. Your chapter's out there. I got a plan for you. I'm setting you free. Emancipation, freedom feels strange. So Booker T. Washington said it didn't feel like freedom when they heard they were free. When they heard the announcement that Mr. Lincoln had emancipated, and they just stared and looked, are we, are we free, they said. I don't feel free. It feels like the same. It, it doesn't feel. They heard the cannon fire in the distance. The cannon fire did not make them feel free. So he was asked, well, what made you feel free? He said, same rooster. That chicken I hated my whole childhood, that chicken that woke us up early every day for another day of dehumanizing slavery. I heard that chicken the next morning. That chicken wasn't crowing. That chicken was screaming and screeching. I wiped my eyes. I looked outside. I saw my mama chasing that chicken around the barnyard. My mama chased that chicken until she caught that chicken. Then she wrung that chicken's neck. Then she cooked up that chicken. Yeah, we ate our alarm clock. We had that chicken for breakfast. And when I ate the chicken, I knew I was free. I have no idea how you apply that story before lunchtime. Maybe you just choose to believe what Jesus has declared, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I'd like to help someone get free because this freedom is found only and exclusively in a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about rituals. Those things are great. It's about a relationship. And Jesus would love to save you today. And you think, well, I'm not, I'm not ready for salvation today. I'm not, I'm not there. Thank you. This has helped. I'm, I'm still kicking tires. No, no, you're more ready than you know. The scripture says, for now is the time and today is the day of your salvation. And the crazy thing is, I, I know God inspired the Apostle Paul to write that to people who lived in Corinth 2,000 years ago, but God also got all up in your stuff today and orchestrated the events and the environments of your life to get you in one of these seats to encounter your reality with that promise that you're ready. So if you think, well, how, how, do, I, how do I do it? Well, I think a prayer that says in Romans chapter 10, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm going to ask this as I wrap this up. Would you please, everyone in the house, uh, bow their heads, close their eyes, and if you you want to nail it down with Jesus. You want to experience his freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from death. Because he wants to set you free in every way you can be set free. That's what free indeed means. It means holistic freedom. Freedom to the uttermost. It means to be free spiritually, to be free habitually, to be free potentially, to be free relationally. All the way. Just pray this prayer. Pray something like, um, okay, Jesus, I'm in. I'm, I'm saying, yes, I, I want to be free. I want to ask you to be my savior. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you arose again and you're alive right now. Come into my life. Maybe yours forever. Wow, thank you for saving me. For I make this prayer in Jesus' name. I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer for a moment. And we do this because... The Bible says when one person, when one person steps over that line of faith and chooses to trust Jesus more than themselves or anything or anyone else, that all of heaven celebrates.
And so as a church, we want to we wanna help with what's next because this is just the beginning for you. This is, our, this is our privilege. This is our responsibility. And so if that was your prayer today, I want to ask you, especially if you would do just a couple of things that would help us help you. Number one, if you would just take the program that you got when you came in today and begin filling out that Connect card that's inside there, your name and contact information, about a third of the way down, you'll see there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. If you just complete that and then tear it off along the fold, and when we dismiss in just a couple of minutes, if you will, on your way out, make sure that you hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or you can... Give it to someone who's there at the hub underneath the big front porch on your way out. But that card starts a conversation, a conversation that proceeds at whatever pace works for you, again, so we can help. And because we want to be a family with you, we want to help and come alongside and we want to learn from you. The second thing I would ask you to do as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if you would, just raise your hand. Just stick your hand up high in there and hold it there for a moment as a, as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. This is a once and for all moment, but it's the beginning. Your eternity is sealed because of Christ, in Christ, and through Christ. But it impacts, it makes a difference right here and right now. And so as a church, we honor that and we celebrate that with you. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.